Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. The Bible reveals that there is a judgment day. And here's the good news. The scripture teaches us, but there's only one way for this to be a reality. The scripture teaches us that you can go before God on that judgment day and not be ashamed. What does that mean? That he will receive you, that he will accept you into his kingdom, and you will be in that kingdom forever and ever. And the good news is this. It's not something that you do, that you perform, that you achieve. It's something that you receive by faith. You simply believe in the promises of God, specifically one promise, and that is that gospel message. When you accept that gospel, you can have assurance, absolute confidence that you are going to be in the kingdom of God. When we look at scripture, we see that the word of God reveals the character of God. So do you understand the character of God? Because his character is directly related to his activity, his work, his purposes, his plan. So the more you understand about the character of God, the more you're going to understand how God behaves in this world. Why is that important? Because when you understand God's purposes, when you understand how God moves and why he moves in this world, you can respond faithfully. You can demonstrate obedience, that you can live a life that's pleasing to him, one that manifests his glory. But it all begins with you believing his promise and believing that promise by faith is going to transform your life where that you can have assurance, that you can have peace, and that you can have confidence that you are going to receive the good things of God for eternity. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans and chapter 9. The book of Romans and chapter 9. Now, when we concluded last week, we see that Paul was speaking about God's glory. This glory of God that he wants to place upon vessels of mercy. Now, what's the relationship between these two things? Well, very simply, it is only when you receive God's mercy, and there's only one way to do that, by receiving Messiah's provision, that he died upon that tree, that he shed his blood. It's when you believe that message, the only message of salvation, the gospel, that you are a recipient of his mercy and that he is going to pour out his glory. What does that mean? Well, that word glory relates to the kingdom that you are going to have for eternity. How wonderful is that? You are going to have for eternity a kingdom experience. You are going to be with him 
in his kingdom. And it's all dependent upon you receiving that mercy, what he has provided freely for you. And we also talked about last week that there's two types of individuals. He speaks about vessels or instruments. There are vessels of honor and there are vessels of dishonor. And what we find is the vessels of honor are made to be honorable vessels by his mercy. So you receive his mercy, you become a vessel of honor. He works in you that change. He's faithful to bring it about. But if you reject his mercy, you are going to be eternally an instrument of dishonor and you will be cast from his sight. So what is so important and what Paul is emphasizing is the mercy of God that comes through the gospel of God, that work of redemption that Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ, did for you and for me upon that cross. And he did it on Passover, the day of redemption. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans and chapter 9. The book of Romans and chapter 9. Now, he's speaking about the glory that he's going to put on vessels of, of mercy that he has prepared beforehand for glory. He wants us to have that glorious kingdom experience. It's eternal. It's wonderful. And he wants to focus in on now who's going to receive that. Look with me to verse 24, Romans 9 and verse 24, where he says, whom also he called us. Now, the question we have to ask ourselves is, who is us? And he's speaking about believers. What type of believers? Well, he answers that as we keep reading once more verse 24. Whom also he called us, not only from the Jewish community, from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Because when we go back to God revealing his redemptive covenant, and he did so through Abraham, we know something. God's desire spells it out in Genesis 12. To bless who? All the families of the earth. So that is a very broad, it's a very inclusive term. God's desire is to bless all people. And this is going to be emphasized in a few minutes. So in verse 24, he says that he's called us, who's us? Not just of the Jewish people alone, but also of the nations, the Gentiles. Verse 25. Now, when, when Paul writes something, having been inspired by the Holy Spirit, he frequently, his, his tendency is to also be led by the Holy Spirit to include a biblical verse, one from the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh, what you might call the Old Testament, as a way of verifying, providing evidence that what he is revealing here is not something new or something different or something in conflict with what was taught by, by the law and the prophets, quite, quite contrary to that. It is in absolute agreement. It is the fulfillment of what the prophet said. So verse, verse 25, as also in Hosea, he says, 
who's speaking god and god reveals something and this has to do with the gentiles remember the last verse now it's not a surprising fact that god would would speak good things to the jewish people his covenant people the the descendants of jacob that shouldn't surprise us but it might surprise people that also nations the gentiles were also included and therefore he quotes in the prophecy of hosea where it says in in verse 25 in hosea he says i call and the implication is not my people my people and the ones not beloved being beloved now who's that the gentiles look at the context of hosea he says there's going to be those who were not my people but i'm going to proclaim them to be my people and those who were not beloved by me previously but now they're going to be beloved by me and all of that foreshadows what he's talking about and this is this redemptive family god's covenant people new covenant people that consists and this is an agreement with god's permanent plan what he said in the past and that is that his desire is to bless the families of the earth meaning both jew and gentile so none of this should be surprising to the reader now verse 26 and it will be it shows prophetic prophetic truth it will be in the future and the place where it was said to them to who now he's speaking about the jewish people where it was said to them you are not my people god because of of israel's disobedience he said hosea bears this out to the jewish people you are not my people but what it was said in that place where it was said you're no longer my people there it will be called you will be called the sons of the living god so this does something and it's very important paul has a tendency when he writes to to lay something down a a foreshadowing to tell us what we should expect and then later on in his epistle he he gives us greater revelation about what he said now in this verse we should anticipate something and that is there's a day coming where the world will understand that those who he cast off for a period of time that they are going to be brought back into the family of who the living god therefore he says you are not my people but in that same place it's going to be said that you are sons of the living god so make no mistake about it we ought to anticipate there ought to be a sure expectation that that israel the jewish people are going to be brought back into this this covenant relationship this salvation this kingdom hope now let's press on to verse 27 and isaiah now a different prophet but the same message and isaiah cries out in behalf of israel now here israel speaking about the jewish people and he says this if shall be the number 
of the sons of Israel as the sand upon the sea. So if the number of the Jewish people are as the the sand of the sea, realize something. Just because there's that large number, he tells us the remnant will be saved. Two important points about the last part of that verse where it says, but the remnant. Now, if you look at the King James, it will say a remnant. That's an heir. Because the definite article appears here. That is the word the. So it's not a remnant, meaning by chance. When this is being recorded, we just completed a a biblical festival. And we had a, a Passover Seder with a group in Israel. And as we, we finished and we're leaving, there were leftovers. Now, what happened by chance to be left over? Someone took, and that's fine. It was simply by chance. This is not something by chance. When it says the remnant, it's speaking about a specific group. One not established by chance, but by God's design. So it's the remnant, and the second point is, will be saved. Doesn't happen because they do something, that they achieve it. But it says will be, it's passive, meaning they are going to be made to be saved, to cause to be saved. And we're going to see before we conclude who did that and what exactly what was done. Now look at verse 28. Verse 28 is probably the most difficult verse in this passage that we're studying that that it's the most difficult one to be translated and the reason is many bibles will translate a word work speaking about the work of god now the literal text says word it's the the greek word logos and that word speaks about the purpose of god the mind of god the plan of God. So that's why it's translated frequently, work, speaking about what God's going to bear out, work out, cause to be accomplished. And what does it say here? Let's look carefully at verse 28. For, literally, a word, that specific word, that specific plan, objective of God, will will be completed. And he's going to do that, how? Swiftly. And he's going to do it in righteousness that's what it says now the texas receptus goes on and adds another phrase that many bibles leave out once again it says for this this work or word this plan this purpose is going to be done swiftly and what is that the lord will do it upon the earth So God's plan, his purpose, his objective, that work, that redemptive work, that's the context. God himself is going to bring it about. And he's going to do it swiftly, quickly. It is going to be a fulfillment. It's going to bring about the desired conclusion that God wanted. And it's all going to be done within the context of what? The scripture tells us, look carefully at verse 28. It says, in righteous. So he's going to complete it. He's going to do it quickly. It's going to come to its end in a very defined way. And that way is because of the righteousness of God. Now, what is that? Well, look now to verse 
29. We are told here that God's going to do this in the earth, in the land. And he says, just as Isaiah said previously, said beforehand, meaning he said this a long time ago. This was something that Isaiah said 800 years before the apostle Paul wrote this down. And notice how God is spoken of here. Verse 29, for Isaiah said it beforehand, except the Lord of hosts would have left a seed for us. Now, notice what's being told, the Lord of hosts. Why is that important? Well, that term for God, Adonai Tzavot, speaks about God who is omnipotent, all-powerful. That term, Lord of hosts, means the heavenly armies of God. And therefore, those armies, they can do whatever without limitation. So when God is spoken of, and usually it's prophetically that this term appears, the Lord of hosts, it assures the reader what God is saying is going to be done. And what is that? All of verse 29. And just as Isaiah has said beforehand, except the Lord of hosts has left for us a seed. Now, we need to understand this in two ways. One is that there's going to be that remnant. But, but the seed of Abraham is also Messiah himself. And this just speaks about this inherent relationship between the redemptive people of God, those kingdom people, and the Redeemer himself, Messiah Yeshua, Jesus Christ. So God did something. God performed it. He sent his only begotten son into this world, the Redeemer, the Messiah. And it was through his work that a remnant, that is that seed, that seed that's going to be, if you look at Abraham's uh, covenant, that seed that is going to be blessed. And through that seed, all the families of the earth can be blessed. That's what he's promising. And if God didn't do this, if he didn't complete that work and bring it about swiftly in its proper time for the purpose of righteousness, what would have been the outcome? He says that as Sodom, we would have been, and as Gomorrah, we would have been likened to. So two different words, the word ginomai for becoming, and this word where we get the English word homo, meaning like or similar. So without God's activity through Messiah, what would have been the outcome? That humanity, including Israel, would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. What does that mean? Would have been judged and destroyed eternally. That eternal punishment of God. Now we're going to see in this last part of this chapter, we're going to see how God brought it about. And he's going to teach us what not to do because we want to receive the goodness of God. We want to be an instrument, a vessel of glory, having received his mercy so that we can be that vessel of honor and not dishonor. Look at verse 30. In regard to all that he said, what should be our response? Paul says it this way. Therefore, what should we say? Now, realize, as Paul is talking, 
there is a phenomena going on. And what is that? We see those of the nations, let me say it a different way, the Gentiles responding to the gospel in a disproportional way, meaning much more of the Gentiles is saying yes to the gospel than the Jewish people. And why is that? Well, it has to do with one thing, and he's going to reveal what that is. Verse 30. Therefore, what shall we say? The nations or the Gentiles? The one who did not, and it's in the plural, the ones who did not pursue righteousness. So we find that the Gentiles, they weren't seeking righteousness. But what happened? Look carefully. They obtained righteousness. So they weren't seeking it, but nevertheless, when they heard the message of the gospel, when they heard God's gracious, merciful plan of redemption, they responded. So the ones not pursuing righteousness, they obtain righteousness, but the righteousness of what? The righteousness of faith. Now, that word faith, is related to related to believing and believing the promise of God. So they weren't seeking righteousness. In fact, most were in idolatry. Most were living apart from anything that was connected to God. They weren't interested in the righteousness of God. But when they encountered that gospel message, that plan of salvation, the means of redemption. They believed it. That's what he's saying here. And because they obtained it, how? Just like the Torah said, just like Abraham uh, found it. It was through faith. So the righteousness of faith. This is what a great number of Gentiles are doing. What about the Jewish community? Look now to verse 31. But, and that means in contrast, but Israel pursuing a law of righteousness. We could say it another way. Israel, the Jewish people, they were pursuing the Torah for righteousness. Now, is the Torah of righteousness? Yes, it is. It defines, it reveals what is righteousness, but it's not an instrument. And nowhere do we see in the Torah that it says the law, the commandments of God, are instruments that produce righteousness in our life. It does not. Because what we need for righteousness is redemption. And the Torah is not an instrument of redemption. When you study the Torah, you can learn the truth of redemption, but it doesn't redeem. So we read verse, verse 31. Israel pursuing the Torah of righteousness, what does that mean? We'll see that in a moment. For the law of righteousness, they did not obtain. So because they were pursuing the Torah, the commandments for their own righteousness, they did not take hold, they did not obtain righteousness. Verse 32, why is that? He tells us, because not of faith. The Torah reveals, and we talked about this earlier in our study in this book of Romans, 
in the Torah itself, the book of Genesis, we find that Abraham became righteous not because of the law. The law didn't even exist. He became righteous. Why? Through faith. What does that mean? He believed in God. And now the Gentiles, at a disproportional level, they are behaving like Abraham because they are believing in the promise of God, his covenantal promises. They are exercising faith. They are simply saying yes to the revelation of God. And that revelation specifically in this context is that gospel message. So they, the Gentiles, are obtaining righteousness because of faith, whereby Israel, in a disproportional level, are not receiving righteousness because they are not operating out of faith. But what? Look at the end of verse verse, uh, 32 but as from the works of the law they were thinking this isn't biblically correct they were thinking that it's by works of the law if i do enough if i have enough good deeds then i will be declared righteous no you can never do enough good deeds to be declared righteous being declared righteous comes from accepting the work of messiah what he did and receiving His righteousness being imputed, given to us. That's the only way that you can, and this is an outcome of God's mercy, through His grace, that you will be declared righteous. And you will be an instrument of honor. And you will be one who has God's glory placed upon you. And notice where it goes. It says, but as from works of the law, and therefore they stumbled, for they stumbled upon the stumbling stone. And what is that stumbling stone? Where he's going to tell us, again, look at verse 33, our last verse. Always dealing with the Torah and the scripture, in this case, the prophet Isaiah, to tell us who is that stumbling stone. Verse 33. Just as it's written, again, written in Isaiah. Behold, I lay or I place or I put in Zion. What's Zion? A kingdom term. I set in Zion a stumbling stone. This is how the world sees him. The world stumbles over this gospel message. So it says, I set in Zion a stumbling stone and whatever else? A rock of offense. Why is it called a rock of offense? He's speaking about the cross. This rock of offense is Messiah crucified. But he says, look at the end of verse 33, but everyone, meaning both Jew and Gentile, doesn't make any difference, but everyone believing in him. What's the outcome? If you believe in him, you will never be ashamed. What does that tell us? You can have assurance. You won't be ashamed when you go before God on judgment day because you believe the promise you've accepted that that rock of offense christ crucified and therefore you will be welcomed eternally into the kingdom this is the good news of the gospel we who believe in messiah will never ever ever be ashamed we will receive the glory of god 
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.